Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Luis Valenzuela, who is the Director of Data Loss Prevention and Data Governance at In- Incom Payments. And we're going to be talking to Luis about, you know, how he got his start in cybersecurity um, and some of the challenges that he faces as a team leader and kind of what does the current threat landscape look like in the context of what he's seeing and some other things. But uh, before we get too far down the road, let's say hi to Luis. Luis, how are you today? Hello, Mark. How are you? Thank you for having me. Uh, My pleasure. Hey, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation because, um, you know, you're really kind of on the front lines and in the trenches of, you know, a a cybersecurity role. You're you're protecting your company's uh, data. Uh, and you're concerned about governance. I know that, um, you know, looking at the number of podcasts that you listen to and also looking at your um, LinkedIn profile with all the different programs you've been through, you have both a wealth of experience and um, of, of, of studies. So um, let's get started. How did, you, um, how did you get your start in cybersecurity? Um, I had been for the first uh, 25 years of my life, I say that my mission was to survive. I grew up in a third world country and it was all about having a job, any job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And later when I moved to the United States, it was still the, okay, what are we going to do here? At that point, my industry was uh, um, aviation and uh, transportation, tourism. I worked with hotels and I came here for a job with Delta but things didn't pan out because of 9-11. So for the next 10 years or so, I ended up working with a technology company doing some sales that later became more program management. And it wasn't until 2014-ish that we had the need to have a security program stood up and I was the right person at the right time. Although I didn't have much experience in security, I was more into IT and other satellite communications, to be exact. We were doing a lot of work with the government, and we needed to stand up uh, our security program in a way that would uh, pass for security clearances and all of these uh, facilities requirements. So I ended up being the one in charge to stand up the security program. And that was my introduction to the security practices, not necessarily the culture of cybersecurity, if you will. After that, I decided to make a a total switch in my life, in my career, and uh, that's when I started preparing, studying more specifically towards security, and uh, that brought me into a uh, role of uh, project program manager in IT for a few years, about five years, and then I specifically got a role in security. So I've been doing security for about 10 years, specifically with a title on a security group about seven years, uh, uh, maybe five years or so. So that that was kind of, I started uh, through the project program management background uh, into security and here I am today. Well, that, that's that's amazing because actually there, there are a lot of people who are on one track or another, but would like to get into cybersecurity. And as a mid-career professional, the, the path isn't always that clear. Okay, so and and you were asked to kind of take the lead on standing up the security practice. 
what were your first steps and you know and, and how did you kind of get your toehold in that space and start you know gaining some expertise and some some momentum in that direction yes so my approach at that point was uh gap analysis where we are what do we have inventory of what we had in the organization both from the standpoint of people process and technologies and look at the where we needed to be what the government was asking us was the minimum we should have in terms of uh, security maturity if you will and then create a plan to get there a plan that included developing new processes buying technologies getting people in the right place in the right time and creating a process where we would document and iterate and improve over time not only to the point where we got an acceptable grade in the government's eyes to work with all of these DOD and special forces and all of these projects for satellite communications, but also to go beyond, not just for meeting the requirements, but actually for being more secure. So it was all gap analysis, plan, execute, iterate, improve, keep going. That was kind of the general approach that I took at that point. And what I, I didn't know, I Googled it, I YouTubed it, I looked at different training platforms, I asked questions, recruited consultants to ask questions on areas that I was not very knowledgeable of, and uh, that gave me enough uh, either resources or information to get something moving to a, a, a point of success. Well, that actually answers my next question, because I was going to ask you about how did you acquire all that knowledge. In, in 2014 was... Um, I mean, there were a couple of podcasts out there, but there weren't as many as there are today. And so your your options were a bit, probably a bit more limited. Did you um did you join any like professional association or peer networking groups or anything like that? Yes, I was very active at that point with AFSIA in both the DC chapter and especially the Atlanta chapter that uh, at that point used to meet at uh, the Air Force Base. Uh, Robbins, I think, is uh, Dobbins. Domains. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a place for me to connect with other people, IT people in other organizations, both security contractors and other types of organizations and learn about what was going on. I remember this one time uh, we would meet on Fridays for lunch uh, where this company came talking about this new application that basically connected Twitter uh, and the, the tweets from people basically would put them on the map to be able to identify where people tweeting what were uh, wow. draw intelligence. Yeah. And yeah. I remember thinking, wow, this is this is heavy, heavy stuff. And, and because of the role and the company that I was with, we had access to very advanced uh, information and technology. We did contracts with uh, different federal organizations and military intelligence groups where it kind of opened up my eyes to the possibilities within the technology industry and how to apply those big concepts into a smaller environment. And that's kind of been a pattern of mine in terms of learning how the big guys do it. How can I apply that to my life, to my environment, to my organization, to my group, and just learn from, from other people's experiences? Well, clearly you're a, a, a voracious learner. Um, I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile right now, and I see that you've gone through programs at Wharton, uh, University of Pennsylvania, um, Harvard University, uh, another Wharton program, a Yale School of Management, another university program, uh, uh, excuse me, University of Pennsylvania program, uh, Duke University, 
MIT, and then some others as well. Um, let me ask you, with all those different programs, do any of them, like one or two of them, really stand out as being super, super amazingly helpful for you? Uh, some are more helpful than others in different ways. There is one particular program I took with, um, uh, what's the name, um, uh, Kellogg, College of yep. Business. Yep. That is a program that I recommend others to take. Is a uh, it doesn't take long. I think you can finish it probably in six months. There are like four or five different uh, courses, but they teach you management, how to create ideas, how to manage conversation. They teach you how to be a good leader from different, very creative standpoints while using their access to uh, academic knowledge of high quality in a very mm -hmm. easy way. So it, it combines a lot of elements that makes it very, very usable in your job, not only in security leadership, but any kind of leadership. Uh, I learned a lot from that uh, from that uh, program and uh, definitely today I practice a lot of things that I learned there. Well, that, that, that brings up my next question, which is, you know, in your role, do you find that the text, technical expertise is more important or the kind of program management project management leadership uh, expertise what, what you know if you if you had to wait one or the other which do you think is more important given your current role not to skirt the the, the, the question but it depends right okay. the typical consultant answer it depends because <laughs> for some roles you have to have more technical than the if you want to call them soft skills. However, generally speaking, I would say that in this uh, cybersecurity industry, the those soft skills can be uh, are very undervalued, if, if you will. And I believe you don't have to choose one or the other. You can prepare for both. It is more common for people, for instance, trying to break into cybersecurity to go pen testing courses, right? And learn pen mm -hmm. testing. And that's good. And I even recommend that for GRC people. Right, it's good to know, but the soft skill side is not as touched as necessary. And I believe that's more important when it comes to, for instance, career development. Mm -hmm. Those soft skills are the ones that are going to give you the ability to communicate with the business, communicate with other peers and get advantage and maximize your technical skills. Right. So, yes, they, they it depends, but I believe they're definitely more important that people think as far as how you manage your personal career, how you manage a, a team, or how you manage the security as a business within the larger organization. You know, I think that's a really profound observation, and it's not limited to the cybersecurity space. I, I've seen it repeatedly in uh, all the organizations and the different industries that I've worked in where you have people with a certain technical subject matter expertise and sometimes they will get I, I it's probably not the right word but they will get passed by they will they will they will not moved into a leadership role uh and they will be passed by by somebody who doesn't have that deep technical or subject matter expertise but has those soft skills skills that you're talking about and it can 
what's the word? It can slightly, obviously, if you're a subject matter expert and you get passed by somebody whose knowledge is kind of superficial compared to yours in that area of expertise, it can be annoying um, and people can get resentful because they're like, hey, that guy doesn't know as much as I do. But they're, they're, I think they're not seeing the big picture because you need a balance of both. And I, I think your observation is, is spot on, not just for cybersecurity, but pretty much every place. Yes, I agree. So let me ask you, um, as you've made this journey, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? Uh, as I think about the challenges uh, in the greater scheme of things, you can think of uh, legacy technologies, asset management, even burnout. Uh, but I believe, uh, or at least from my experience and my point of view, some of the more impacting challenges are around communications. In, in, we were kind of talking about that a little bit, mm -hmm. specifically when it comes to conveying the urgency or the reason for security actions to the business, whoever they, they might be. And, and connected to that, the lack of effective process uh, management and documentation. Uh, and especially if you think it from the standpoint that generally speaking, we know documentation is boring, right? Uh, yeah. Somebody take notes and, and that's it. But I think if we have a better handle on those, those can impact the actual operational results of our teams. I was uh, listening to uh, Steve Oren that you were interviewing. Mm -hmm. um, and when he brought up the, the, the example of breaches and problems and you realize that the blinking light was blinking reporting the issue, but the human that was supposed to look at it didn't see it. And he, he called it the connection to policy problem. I yep. totally agree. I think that was spot on. If you think about people process technology, the technology that, that we have today, generally speaking, is very good. We had advanced that we have machines that can do a lot of what we need done. We just don't have the proper processes in place to take advantage of the information we can draw from them or to build what we should with that information. We have a lot of information separated, but we could do much better if we have the right processes and people in place to connect those pieces of data to build actionable things. So I would narrow down kind of the challenges to that people process uh, uh, documentation side of the house. Yeah, and again, that comes back to the, in my mind, the the program management side, right? I mean, you, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, like you said, you have we have the technology, we have the tools, and it's important to know how to deploy them. But you you need to understand the processes so that when that light blinks, some somehow, hopefully, uh, a response is automated and in the right manner. So that's a, that's a really good point. Um, what do you do to keep up with the current threat landscape? in the context of your role and your organization? Um, I, uh, when uh, probably around 2013, 2014, that I started actively preparing for a certification, I got into this uh, routine or, or, or came back because I used to have that in a different context of constantly being learning something, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that applied today is that Number one, I'm listening to podcasts every week, like, you know, the Cyberwire Daily, CISO Series, this Secure Talk, uh, Cyber Ranch, all of these CISO or cybersecurity news podcasts that give me in a very quickly summarized way what's going on, the latest, right? That's mm -hmm. step one. Now, as I listen, I'm always thinking, okay, how could this happen to my organization? 
could this happen to my organization? So somebody mentioned that, I don't know, somebody used X command. And my question in my mind is always, I need to ask my security team, do we have somebody, do we have an alert looking for this particular command being executed in our environment, that kind of situation. So I'm always trying to make sure that what I'm hearing cannot happen in our environment. Now, that, what that causes is that I, sometimes I will ask a lot of dumb questions. Right, and I, I will get the look of, uh, yeah, of course. But if from time to time, my question will generate, an, oh, we never thought about it, or we thought somebody was doing it, but nobody was, and that generates this chain where now we are proactively patching a potential hole, the other five times that I ask the dumb question are worthy, right? So I try to apply what I learned, not only on podcasts, but also in my training. I try to go through training year long, and if I was looking at it the other day, in a matter of two or three years, I kind of go through a cycle. Uh, I learned, I take a course on ethical hacking, then mm -hmm. in privacy, then Siemens sort tools, then MITRE, you know, cloud. By the time a second year or so comes back, I have taken some sort of training in one of the main cybersecurity areas. And I kind of come back to, oh, let's go back to ethical hacking. What's new since the last time I studied and prepared for this cert? And let's go back to cloud. Oh, what has happened since the last time I studied for the AWS uh, certification? Things like that. So I'm continually going around, keeping fresh all of the different aspects, not just my DLP area, but all of the areas so I can better communicate and understand with my peers that report to the CISO as to how we can together better protect the, the organization and from time to time give them ideas or get ideas from them. And the same way, not just in the technical, in the soft skills area, the studies that you mentioned, uh, different certifications, podcasts about leadership, about uh, management, about people management, operations, data analytics, all of those things are just part of my daily going by. And, and it kind of, I think, makes me feel and refresh constantly, right? Because uh, I don't get stale and I don't get into the, like, it's like going to the gym mm -hmm. or running. If you go through a long period of time that you kind of take a break, you potentially could be, lose it and it's hard to come back. So I try to kind of stay current listening and learning all the time when I go to the grocery store, especially, or when I have <laughs> commute to the office. So it's just part of what I'm doing. And I always look at how can I apply this in my environment, in my job? That is such an awesome, uh, healthy outlook, and I, I really, you know, your your passion and energy for, you know, keeping continuing to learn is um, is contagious, man. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at at the books on my desk, and I'm like, okay, I got to get through these, man. <laughs> if Luis can do all that, I got I got I got to get through these books. So hey, that you know, I I really appreciate um, that that kind of mental outlook. And uh, by the way, just out of curiosity, which ethical hacking course did you take? I took the CEH. Is is that can can I still say that word? <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> there have been some issues with CEH. I took CEH about I want to say maybe five years, and then recently I've gone twice through the practical uh, ethical hacking from. I should know. I'm trying to remember his name or the organization. Was it um, was it Nathan? No. Um, Where's he uh, based? 
the practical ethical hacking. Let me find uh, it really. Zad? Z uh, it's a, Z a PCM security. PCM security. He's Adams. Okay. Uh, okay. He's somebody that, as a person, I don't know him. He doesn't uh -huh. know of me. But I admire what I see from the outside. And his uh, uh, ethical hacking course, and generally the courses that he puts out there, I believe are high quality, are practical indeed, are up to date. So I learn a lot uh, from what he's putting out there and kind of help me, helps me to stay refreshed in that particular area, the pen testing hacking side of the house. That's awesome. If you get a chance, uh, send me a, a link to his courses. I'll put it in the show notes. I mean, oh, absolutely. You know, yes. Yeah, they're that, great. I always they're, like making good recommendations. Go ahead. I'm sorry. They're very you. affordable. Uh, and he's, he seems to really care about people learning, uh, which is, which is great. Sounds, sounds like you, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so, so let me ask you, um, some job specific questions. Um, you know, which one is more challenging for you, the data loss prevention or the data governance? I would have to say the data governance, just because for my particular personality has a lot of reading, a lot of words, a lot of pages, a lot of back and forth. I like the idea of, of the legal side, if you will, comparing policies, making sure we have the right exception. Does this really mean that kind of going into the semantics? But generally speaking, uh, the policy, the data governance part uh, is a little more challenging, but not too much. Or, uh, on the other side, the, the DLP is more technical in a, mm -hmm. in a way. So yeah, definitely I find a little bit more challenging the data governance uh, governance part. Well, and and I'm I'm wondering with with the DLP, if you have the right tools in place, you can at some to some degree automate a lot of that. Um, you know, I mean, you you tell me if I'm if I'm wrong here. Um, no, I'm totally. That's actually my uh, my strategy. Yeah. Uh, uh, when I started in this position, uh, and I took over the previous uh, director, uh, one of the things that I did was, of course, learn as much as I could about the industry and the discipline and watch videos about experts in DLP. How do you standard a program? What should you do with a program? And I, I get the impression you have the two approaches. The, the more human approach, which is, you know, set up data owners and data custodians and data this and have meetings and decide this, blah, blah, blah. That might work. Uh, my impression is that the more you rely on people whose business is not security is selling or accounting on HR and you come with a program where you're now asking for 10% of their time to verify that all of these folders belong to their group and things like that. It might be doable. I'm sure people have done it. I just don't find it that effective, that practical necessarily, mm -hmm. at least in the way I see how things can happen when installing a tool or implementing a technology layer with a good process uh, management, you could accomplish the same or more in a much quicker time. And since we are in the business of eliminating risks, any savings of time will always have a benefit over um, other areas, right? If I can cover a hole that a threat actor can get in in one month as opposed to, I don't know, 12 months, I will try to get the one month, even if that costs me more process, more more work, 
more conversations, more negotiation, whatever it is. So I definitely agree with you. I go through the tours portion where you still need people, you still need the support of the business, but you are not coming to them with a lot of hours of work. You're just asking for a little bit because you have the solution already for them. And automation is the key in our business. Um, so yeah, definitely tools and processes to save people's time. Yeah, 100% agree. And on the governance side, I mean, one, you have an explosion in the the types and sheer volume of data, but you also have, I wouldn't call it an explosion, but a, a, a rapidly changing landscape in terms of the regula regulatory bodies that you have to map to. And if you're dealing in, you know, multiple jurisdictions and the data is flowing here and there, it just gets even more complicated. So I'm assuming on the governance side that you you probably work with um, some type of DPO or uh, somebody, or maybe your legal counsel. I mean, how, how do you do that? Yes, yeah, so uh, we have a, a GRC group. Uh, they're very good at, at working all of these tools, the compliance team, the legal team. And uh, we work uh, very collaboratively in terms of what we need to do, how it affects other groups and what's the best way to implement them. And they have tools for automation or for cross-referencing of different frameworks and compliance requirements. And uh, we have uh, done a lot of great work in improving that side of the house. And we have great people working in that area. So uh, on my side, I benefit of the work that they are doing. And I just make sure that my part of the operation, my wheel is aligned with their wheels and they all roll uh, synchronized. Makes a lot of sense. Hey, you know, I know that uh, income payments is obviously it's it's not a security company. And typically I, I talk with people who are working for some type of security, either service or technology provider. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you're, you're kind of sitting on the other fence right now. Obviously, if you're de dealing with payments, well, pretty much anybody these days is concerned about security, but if you're dealing with payments and any kind of customer data that relates to payments, then your security is even that much of a um, more important concern. In terms of your specific niche, which I think it's, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, gift card payments, um, mm -hmm. what, what are the security concerns that consumers of your services if they're out in the market and they're looking at, you know, income payments and they're looking at other providers of those uh, services, what are the concern, excuse me, the security concerns that they should be thinking about? Okay, so our organization uh, provides gift cards of all different kinds and, and different uh, names in the market. Uh, and we do a lot of processing. We have some new services in the healthcare industry providing HSA, FSA type of cards uh, for health expenses. And, and we have a, a other verticals and uh, we are focused a lot in uh, new technologies and breaking in with new things. We have a number of patents for since the company started and that has been kind of the vision of the company, like bringing new technologies, new things. So. Uh, yes, in the sense of uh, our one of the business that we have, which is business cards and financial transactions. Uh, from a user standpoint, a user cares about giving their data or doing business with an organization that takes seriously their privacy and that takes protects uh, correctly their information, their credit card, their information, whatever they give to this organization. That's what a user is looking for, right? And 
the mission of our security team is exactly that, to provide our customers, whether it's business customers or consumers, the, uh, the um, trust that we are managing a top-notch security program that cares for their information and protects their private information and that they can enjoy the benefits of the business side, whether it's profit, whether it's a satisfactory experience, a quick payment, you know, whatever is their particular interest from a business standpoint, while we in the security team are protecting all of that data that belongs to individual consumers. And that's, that's the mission we have. And in my particular role, that's what I look at to make sure that we protect the privacy and the information of all of the customers that work with income, whether big banks or financial institutions, or Joe Mudge, who is buying a gift card for Mother's Day. They are all important to us. Well, so I mean, yeah, I think that's good advice. Consumers should be concerned about, um, you know, the card provider protecting their data and the customers, the, the, the companies that are using your services to produce gift cards um, obviously are concerned. But how do you demonstrate to that to them? And let's start with the consumer side. What is there some easy way that a consumer can know? Hey, you know what? This company looks to be safe, or or on the opposite. Hey, there, here's a flag that I should be aware of uh, giving my my information to this company. Well, I, I guess that gets uh, into the philosophical argument of are you safe, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the CEO asking the CISO, are we safe? And the answer is, <laughs> depends. What do you mean by that? Like, how do you measure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think from a consumer standpoint, and that's what I do when I go to do a transaction with a vendor that I don't know, I'm going to buy something that is not from, you know, Amazon or one of the known vendors, but some different one. I, I do some basic OSINT, so basically open source intelligence, like looking at the the URL and whether or not it was created 20 years ago or two days ago, right? Right. So I don't know, as a consumer, there's not much that we can do to confirm whether an organization has security of certain level because it's hard to quantify. And that's one of the challenges we have on this side of the, of the argument, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so what I believe companies can tell from companies like ours is, the trajectory that we have over time of growth, of delivering of services, of uh, going into different new areas and innovating. That's one of the big keys of our organization, innovating, because innovation will always bring um, good results for consequence to those end users, or whether we're talking about a client or a business. And innovation is something that is characteristic of income payments since its inception. And I think that's one aspect that can be brought up as evidence, if you will, of uh, the history of our company and how we have been delivering inno innovation while, uh, well, you know, staying secure and keeping data protected and all of those things. Um, other than that, I think it's very difficult to kind of give a good uh, objective uh, point of reference for an outsider uh, that can be fairly compared to others, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, then let's take a step, like three steps back and just go more in general, okay? Because at the end of the day, whether you're a security professional or not, you are all, we are all individual consumers, okay? Mm -hmm. So 
um, you've got the stage right now. What is like one or two key things that everybody should be doing to protect their data or their devices? Oh, uh, at the very least, patch. The either we're talking about de desktop laptops when you get the update from Microsoft or if you're using uh, open source third party, you know, the update from uh, Ubuntu or whoever you use, or if it's your phone, Android, Apple, always use or install the latest updates. Very simple. A lot of people push it for later because we are all in the middle of something. Uh, if you are the kind of person that is structured enough, maybe put a reminder monthly that on Saturday at 11 a.m. when you have nothing else going on, you are going to do a cleanup of your files, make sure all of the applications are up to date, things like that. That's probably the number one that everybody can do in their personal life that is not that big of a friction for for your life. Uh, another one uh, would be, and this is more of a risk management exercise, is how much data do you need to share with organizations in exchange for the services you are getting? If you are downloading an application, for instance, to, I don't know, play a game, why does that application need access to all of your emails and contacts? Mm -hmm. Doesn't make sense. It's because they want to I mean? sell to all your emails and right? contacts. <laughs> exactly. So you have to make a decision. Do I want this game bad enough that I'm willing to trade it for my personal information? And unfortunately, most of us say, yeah, sure. I want the mm -hmm. game without thinking of the implications of giving away our data. And uh, and I think it comes down to good uh, judgment in, in the decisions decisions we make because there's nothing free. If you are getting something free in the virtual world, the cyber world, you are paying with your data in one way or another. So being a little mindful of what we bring uh, into our devices and what we're getting out that's one one area and as a third one i would say it's very simple do not i repeat do not participate on social media survey games all <laughs> right because it's the most ridiculous easiest way for bad actors to get your information oh tell me which let me tell you what disney princess you are when were you born <laughs> what was this? What was that? You take three separate of those and you can build all of the questions a bank is going to ask you for identification when you call them in. Um, that's, that's a couple of them. No, I, I, I think that's some awesome advice. And it's funny about the updates because even for me, for the longest time, I you know, I find the updates to be kind of annoying. And I like you said, I'm I'm really busy, so I would delay doing it. And in my mind, for the for the longest time, I just thought, oh, they're going to change the UI or something, or they're going to add some new features and it's going to be annoying. And I, and I didn't realize, I mean, up until, you know, I got into security that those updates are oftentimes they're directly related to patching some kind of um, security issue. So yes. it's, it's, it's not like, Hey, you know, do you want the latest greatest version of the app? It's like, Hey, we want to protect you because there's a, there's a known vulnerability. So totally important. 100% agree. Um, what would you, what advice would you give to businesses then? I mean, that was for individuals. I get, and I guess the patching works for, for businesses as well, but, uh, beyond that, what, what advice, if you're, if you're, uh, let's just say, you know, you're a, a small, medium-sized company, you know, 50 to two, 300 people, what's, what's one thing that you would look at immediately? Um, 
small company, they're just starting, have never thought about business. I would actually point out to another of your previous episodes uh, about Microsoft, which most people use for their businesses, at least M365 for their basic stuff. Maximize what you are already paying for. Mm-hmm. I think that was great advice that your guest gave in that particular episode because uh, Azure, M365, any of those pro- products or any other product that is not Microsoft, most of them, many of them have some sort of security functionalities built in, some more mature than others, but there's something you can start with immediately without putting one additional dollar. Uh, so I will probably start there and and then based on what you see, uh, if you uh, start investing in somebody, uh, uh, a consultant, uh, part-time, whatever, depending on your budget, bring somebody to kind of start looking at what are the possible holes, how big they are, kind of do that risk assessment, that gap analysis, and see uh, as long as you get accurate information or as accurate as possible as far as the the likelihood uh, and and the losses that you can have, you make a business decision. Do you want to spend this money protecting this or you take the chance and instead invest on this other thing? But I think you need to know the basics about the risks and that doesn't take that big of an investment. After that, you can make the business decision of how much to put into security based on that risk that you you learn you have. Again, some some excellent advice. Um, Last question here then. Uh, we we talked about you know your kind of journey from a mid career professional into the security space. Um, what advice would you give for people who maybe they're in university or they're just out of university and they want to get into cybersecurity in terms of you know what are the potential areas or the growth areas that you look that you see and then also what are like the the best pathways to get into those areas? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I would. I would start with recommending investing a lot of time and effort in knowing who they are. Who are you uh, in terms of security? Uh, Do you have that passion for protection? Uh, Do you care about security because you want to protect? Or are there other reasons? And I believe that associated with other sides of your personality, what are your strengths, your weaknesses, your learning style, I think is huge. Because uh, if I can make a, a, a parenthesis here, I see a, a lot of uh, conversations about, you know, the three and a half million uh, shortage skill that we have in cybersecurity, at least from two years ago. And then you have tens or maybe thousands of people trying to break in. I see mm-hmm. them on LinkedIn every day. And I'm thinking, what? there's a disconnect. How is it that we have all of these openings, but we have all of these people who are trying to break in? Mm-hmm. And I think one and I don't know quantifiably, this is not a, I haven't done a scientific study, but I see a lot of people who are trying to break in. Somebody posts, hey, I have an opening in my team. And they, for instance, comment, uh, interested. And it has happened to me. <laughs> That's it. You right? got to try a little harder, I would say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you have to go a little farther than that. Hey, interesting. Or our people who post, oh, I've been applying, I've applied for 50 companies and nobody gives blah, 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 blah. My thought, and again, I'm just testing this this idea, is that a lot of people that I see that are trying to break in are maybe not breaking in because they are not cut out for this. Mm-hmm. Because in order to be successful in security, I believe you need to be creative 
you need to go the extra mile. You need to research, go three layers under the why. You need to network and connect with people. You need to be gracious, have good judgment. And those things are being negated by these actions that I've seen these many people trying to break in. So it makes me wonder if all of these people that are trying to break in, a good portion, and I don't know what percentage, uh, they don't know you need to like go the extra mile, send a, a, a message, contact, make a phone call, customize your resume, study a little more, validate X, you know, do, do so many extra steps that in the context of the security positions, jobs, you have to do every day, right? And, and therefore, if you know you are not the type of person that wants to be creative or do extra research or study all the time or go the extra mile or you don't want to basically control your tongue and not say what you feel, things like that, maybe you're not built for cybersecurity. Closing that parenthesis, that's why I say you need to know who you are mm -hmm. because knowing those things uh, and taking, you know, the personality tests like this, Kenagram, Myers-Briggs, and reading books like uh, Jim Collins's um, Good to Great and uh, uh, the, Built to Last. And <laughs> exactly. Humble, Hungry, and Smart by Patrick Lencioni and The Working Genius. All of these books and these resources help you to very comprehensively get an idea who are you? Are you built to lead? Are you built to do spreadsheets? Are you built to create new things? Are you better at following up than creating? Are you better at creating but not following up? All of those things will help you get a better idea of what, whether or not if you're built for cybersecurity. Number two, which role, right? I always recommend people that I mentor, take a training course in Security Plus, not, not get the certification, but take the training four hours, five hours, whatever. And that will give you a good basic idea of the different roles, at least mm -hmm. in the eight or 10 different segments, but there are multiple roles. And now you, when you know what your learning method, that you know you are not going to fall asleep listening, you fall asleep reading, but you are okay with watching. So now you know what kind of resources you use. You know what kind of person you are, you are a leader. Uh, you know what kind of vertical you want to go into cybersecurity. Ooh, I like GRC. You know, whatever is the right combination, now you can go after a specific role and have a plan to get that role in a certain amount of time and understand that it might mean that you don't start at that role junior. You might have to start at the help desk or as a sysadmin and then get in. You know, That's listening to you, it, it sounds like we're from the same generation. And and I and I think I think the fact that, you know, you you came to the U.S., I, I think you were an adult when you moved, when you immigrated. Yeah. Yeah. I was 25. You were 25 and you came from a, a place that um, probably wasn't as well developed. I think you you, you referred to it as a third world Correct. country I'm, yeah, yes. or as a developing country. Um, and, and I think the fact that you have that work ethic and drive because, you know, you got here and you're like, hey, this is this is a chance I can do this. I just got to do the work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that that was kind of the way that I brought it. I came I came from pretty humble, uh, I, I guess, background myself. And it was like, if you want something, you got to go out and work for it. Right. And the, mm -hmm. the your comment about people posting on LinkedIn available. I mean, it's just like <laughs> it, it, it's true, though. And and. And I think that we've been, we've had such a, I don't know, the economy has been so good for so long and, um, and people have these expectations and without really understanding maybe the way things, sh I don't know if, if they'll ever go back, 
but we are in a recession right now and people are having to kind of, you know, maybe try a little bit harder. But anyway, your, 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 your viewpoints are very, very refreshing. So thank you for that. Hey, um, so what have you got planned for 2023? Are you going to take any more courses or, you know, what's, what's the big, uh, uh, you know, plan for you for this year? Uh, this year I'm planning on finishing. I'm going through a strategic management um, program with Wharton. I'm planning on finishing before summer. And uh, on the technical side, I'm going to get a little deeper into a couple of technologies that we're starting to uh, implement. And those are kind of the main areas that I'm looking at in terms of learning. I obviously continue with podcasting and learning from podcasts because that I think is almost the equivalent to a, a cyber MBA, if you will. And um, th those are the three areas that I'm concentrated for for 2023. Well, Luis, uh, you've got me totally inspired and motivated, and uh, hopefully that you'll have the same effect on our listeners. I'd like to thank you so much for coming on Secure Talk and uh, wish you an amazing 2023. All right. Thank you, Mark. I hope it's useful for somebody. Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.